Hello friends, welcome to the podcast. I hope your day is treating you well. I am spending this quarter writing my book, which means that we are posting a few of my personal favorite episodes from the last year. This episode originally aired earlier this year, but I'm wondering if you got a chance to listen to it. If you're interested in the book, you can be one of the first people to know when it goes live by signing up for our newsletter list at clubenneagram.com. For now, thanks for being here and let's get into the episode. I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Caroline McGraw, author of You Don't Owe Anyone, Free Yourself from the Weight of Expectations. Caroline helps kindred spirits who are really good at doing what they're supposed to do start doing what they're meant to do. She's a writer, coach, speaker, and an Enneagram type one. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah Jane. It is so, it's such a delight to be here. I'm so honored to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. This could not come at a better time. This week, we are talking all things rest, ease, and freedom. So this is just perfectly aligned with what we've been discussing. Mm, Awesome. As you know, we start with a rosebud and thorn. Um, So what's something that's good for you right now, something you're looking forward to, and something that doesn't feel quite great? Yes. So the rose for me is recording the audiobook for you don't owe anyone. I was in the studio yesterday. I get to go back for a couple more days. So if if my voice sounds a little froggy today, it's I'm not used to speaking out loud for two or three hours in a row, but it's been really powerful to actually speak out loud every single word that I put in the book, Mm. like to reclaim my own voice in that way, because there is this quote that that I share in the book from Tara Westover, who wrote the book Educated. And she wrote, my life was narrated for me by others. Their voices were forceful, emphatic, absolute. Mm. It had never occurred to me that my voice might be as strong as theirs. Wow. So while my physical voice is not as strong today, <laughs> I feel like my my emotional voice is getting stronger as I'm reading. I think you editing your, like reading your own audiobook is going to be amazing. Your voice is just incredible. Do you get that all the time? Oh, thank you. This is the first time I've ever done anything in a professional studio like this, but I have heard from previous clients way back when I was a copywriter, they would occasionally produce, you know, videos or commercials or stuff like that. And they would say, can we get you to do the voiceover? We just really like your voice. So Yes, have heard that a time or two. So what's something you're looking forward to or, or, you know, your thorn? Yeah. Okay. So the the thorn first or the butt first? People have been doing the thorn first and I think that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that I've really been wrestling with lately is taking care of myself as Mm. my life and responsibilities have expanded, balancing, caring for others, launching a book taking care of myself, even just returning to those basics, like you were saying, rest, sleep, doing nothing. And I recently had this impulse to declutter this folder that's been on my desk for ages. And I thought, you know, this is from a program I did five years ago. It's probably time to let it go. And I opened it up. And the first thing I read 
was this counselor evaluation of, you know, here's how Caroline showed up in the program. Here, here were her strengths and here are her mm. growth areas. Here are her thorns. And essentially the, the thorns were, she needs to learn to love herself first. Mm. She needs to learn to take care of herself. And I read that five years later and I just had this thought of, oh, that's still spot on. Like that's still absolutely mm. accurate. So I need to take my own medicine that I've been sharing in the book, essentially. I love that you said that because I think a lot of times when we put ourselves in the role of teacher or coach or author, we feel this pressure to be completely healed and like (laughs) be beyond the things that we're working on. And something we talk about a lot on the podcast is like, no, we're in relationship to this forever. This isn't something, there's no destination. And I, and I think you really described that beautifully. Like, yeah, I'm working on this just like the rest of us. We're all in process. Exactly. Exactly. That whole model of change being a spiral rather than a straight line that I'm re-encountering that same issue just at a different level. And something you're looking forward to? Yes. So my favorite thing that I look forward to really every day is I spend time with our toddler, our daughter in the morning and her dad spends time with her in the evening. And then we have either babysitters in between or we switch off depending on what day it is. But on an ordinary work day, there's this one moment at the end of the day when I go upstairs and we all have supper together. That's, you know, like our family time. And she sees me. And no matter what has happened for the rest of the day, I just, I love that moment. And I look forward to that because it's just, it's just joy. She just Mm. lights up. And it's that moment where I can get very task driven and very focused and very, it has to be right. It has to be this way. And I just use that as kind of like a reset of no, just be here now. Just enjoy this expression on your kid's face and remember how lucky you are. Oh, that's beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about your book. So you have a new book coming out. Yes. Yes. It has come out. It is officially out. Yes. As of this week, as of April 20th, it is officially out in the world and it is, you don't owe anyone free yourself from the weight of expectations. So where did the idea for this book come from? Why this topic? Yes. I started writing this book in 2015 because of a conversation that I had with my husband. And I share a bit of this story in the intro. But just to give a quick recap, I got a series of messages on Facebook from someone I hadn't seen or spoken to in years. The last time I had seen them, it was this very awkward interaction, which I talk about more in the book. But I just got these messages saying, I miss you. I miss you. I really miss you. Mm. And I was very conflicted about what to do about this, Mm -hmm. as so many of us are, right, In, in this world of... You can reconnect with almost anyone online. And so it brings up questions of, wow, what do I say to someone who comes out of nowhere and pops into my world? And sometimes it's a joy. Sometimes it's, oh, this is so delightful. I'd love to reconnect with them. And other times the feelings are more mixed, which was the case here for me. And part of me thought, I don't feel good about this. That was my gut reaction was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to engage with this. But then another part of me kicked in and said, well, that's not kind. That's not generous. And what if this person really needs your support? And 
you know, shouldn't you, shouldn't you reach back? They reached out to you. Don't you owe them essentially? Mm. And so I went back and forth about this. And I finally asked my husband what he thought. And I was expecting him to say something like, really, you, you don't need to write back. But he took it a layer deeper. And he said to me, you don't owe anyone an interaction. And I just had one of those aha moments that Oprah talks about and just looked back over my entire life and thought, how would everything have been different if that had been the lesson I had learned growing up? Mm. And if that had been what I was taught and shown and modeled that like, essentially for me, you don't owe anyone means like you're free. You have no Mm -hmm. debt to this person or anybody else. Like you can do whatever feels true and loving and right for you. And so this was this big watershed moment. And I just said to him, can I write about that? Can I quote you on that? Because that is revolutionary to me. Mm-hmm. And he said, sure. And it became first a viral Huffington Post article, then a TEDx talk, and now a book. So that's mm-hmm. where it came from. And I think that that phrase, you don't owe anyone, is so much more meaningful from you as I know you, you know, as what we know from the Enneagram, like knowing you as a type one, Mm -hmm. like you've trudged through the mud of what it means to do what you're supposed to do. I imagine. Yep. And versus like it coming from a seven, you know, let's like someone who's a little bit more free spirited, more comfortable doing what feels best to them at any given moment. Um, Consequences, out the window, um, there's a lot more depth of meaning to the phrase you don't owe anyone from a from the position of being an Enneagram type one, I would imagine. I like that a lot. And I very purposely wrote the book with the audience of either a one or a two with a one wing as mm-hmm. kind of the primary readership, which, you know, I, I certainly think it's valuable beyond that. And I think it's, you know, there are some very universal stories and principles and everything there. But I wrote it for the people who really, really, really struggle with this concept. And Mm -hmm. at least in my own life and experience, it's been the ones and the twos with the one wing that really have grappled with that a lot. Can I ask, you know, what's your, your history of, of should um, or Mm. feeling kind of obligated to expectations? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. I mean, essentially the whole book, I love that. That's a history of should. I should use that as a tagline. (laughs) Like this is my history of should. And then how I started unraveling that and how I started writing a different story and getting out of the should mentality. But essentially the first half really is the history of should. And one place where it started for me was when I was five years old And my younger brother, Willie, was three. He was diagnosed with autism. And this was in 1990 when autism awareness was nothing like it is today. The supports were few and far between. It was just a whole different world. And I have this vivid memory of, you know, being in the diagnostic center. And afterward, our parents sat me down and they did a really good job actually explaining, you know, everything is okay. Willie's mind just works differently than yours does or mine does. And that means we have to adjust. 
but it's okay. We're going to love each other. We're a family. We're going to get through this. You know, it was a very hopeful kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I remember them saying to me, essentially, the only thing we're asking of you, like, will you be a good daughter? Will you be a good older sister? And, Mm -hmm. you know, to someone else, I think maybe that could have been just a small moment. But for me, it almost felt like this mission, like this calling almost of, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be the good one. Okay, yes. And, you know, I, I think, I I think it's important to say in fairness to my parents, I think they were always going to be parenting a one. This is just kind of the moment when I realized that I was a one, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you're answering the call. Finally, someone asked. Right, right. Yes. Yes, that's how it felt to me, at least. It felt like this was sort of predetermined, for lack of a better word. Um, and so that was this big moment where I thought, okay, this is my identity now. Willie's going to be different, and I'm going to be good, and that's how we're all going to be okay. And it was this very innocent moment, but I do think that kind of begins the history of the should, because I started to make meaning out of that and decide, well, what does it mean to be the good one? and build this whole role and identity out of that. Did you know that over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? And 95% are not getting the recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It is formatted with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Now, I am someone who knows they're supposed to take a vitamin, but is also a bit skeptical when it comes to vitamins. But Ritual invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. So through this, they were able to see that vitamin D levels increased by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. It was published in leading scientific journal Frontiers in Nutrition. Y'all, a published clinical study is a big deal and it shows a serious commitment to a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. Rituals committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project, traceable and their vegan-friendly ingredients. Always clear communication, no shady stuff, which we love. I'm also going to be honest and say that one of the things I like about Ritual is that it's aesthetically pleasing. I know that sounds shallow, but the truth is that I'm just much more likely to do something if it feels like a small joy than like a thing I have to remember because I'm supposed to be adulting. Ritual comes in stunning packaging. The pills are cute and they taste like mint. All around, it just makes me look forward to taking my vitamin every day instead of forgetting for weeks on end and feeling guilty about it and like entering into a shame spiral. It's a new fun part of my routine. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash egram and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash egram. Thank you, Ritual, for supporting the podcast. did it mean for you to be the good one? Yeah. So obviously everyone's story is different, but Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of it was shaped by the church that my family attended when I was younger, which was very 
controlling, authoritarian. I later found out it was a cult, which of course I didn't know as a kid. Nobody <laughs> nobody thinks they're in a cult, put it that yeah. way. <laughs> it's always true. a shock. It's like, oh, spoiler alert, that was not healthy. Mm-hmm. But when you're little, it's it's just what you know. And it becomes normal really quickly. And so for me, being the good, the good daughter, the good child meant obeying what you learned in church, you know, don't complain that your life looks different than other kids, that you don't get to wear Halloween costumes and all this kind of stuff. Um, But it also meant being this very high achiever in school, in other fields. I just felt this really strong drive of, I need to be this bright shining star. And partly I think there was some altruism in it that I wanted to spare our parents any extra struggle or any grief because I talk in the book about my brother had a lot of behavioral issues, like things got really gnarly for a while there. Um, And I wanted to kind of overcompensate for that. But another part of it, I think was sort of like this plea for, I want somebody to see me and I want somebody to pay attention. And if I can just shine brightly enough, then I will sort of deserve the love or the attention, mm-hmm. um, which is why I know something you you often ask on the podcast is like, have you ever misidentified as another type? Mm-hmm. And I I pretty clearly knew as soon as I read the one, I was like, yeah, they've they've got my number. This is it. But I also I resonate a lot with some descriptions of the type three because of that of that sort of addiction to. I've got to get the gold star. Like I can really relate to that element as well. Yeah. Do you, so it kind of, I hear so much, like there were so many areas of life covered. And I think, I think that's something interesting about the, the one type structure is kind of like this. You can kind of spread that fixing energy into anything Mm. Regina twos, they kind of put all of their energy into their relationships or, you know, we all have different areas in which we kind of point our focus. And I think sometimes ones it's like, well, everything has to be Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's such a great point. It's very global. It's whatever I'm involved in, it has to be to the nth degree, to the max. And it's actually been kind of a growth edge for me that now as an adult, I go to a ballet class every Wednesday night and it's sort of the one area of my life where I don't usually talk about work or anything like that. People were surprised to hear that I'd written a book because I just kind of compartmentalize it. It's just, this is just my fun, happy place. I don't have to like overachieve here. Um, But even with that, I do, I, I caught myself at the beginning being very competitive with myself of your turnout isn't good enough. Your this isn't good enough. And it's just been a practice of being like, this is a recreational ballet class. Like you can (laughs) just have fun with it. It doesn't have to be like so much pressure and so fraught. And so like, no, you must be the best at first position. It's like, just relax and have fun. Yeah. I love that. Um, Do you, so in your journey of kind of releasing these expectations, releasing these shoulds, like what has been kind of the area that you feel like, oh, this is something that has changed 
significantly? And then what's something that you are like, let's start there. What's something that you feel like, oh, this is, this is freed me. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think something that I, I owned through the process of writing the book was this idea that actually, I mean, I think of myself or for many years, I thought of myself as the good girl, the golden child, the, the one who, you know, does everything right. And actually the very process of writing the book forced me to get in touch with a little bit more of like my inner rebel and a little bit more mm-hmm. of the part of me that was more carefree or defiant or just breaking the rules essentially. Um, so that's been, that's been a big growth edge because I knew that while this book would be very meaningful for some people, it also had the potential to really upset other people mm-hmm. <laughs> and being able to say, no, this still feels important to me to be able to write my story and say, say how it was for me. So to give a specific example, something I talk about in the book is from when I was very young, I learned to doubt the way that I remembered things or the way that I recalled events. I just had this sense of like, the way that you remember is not right. And it's always somebody else always has the final say over what actually happened, be it Mm. your parents or your church. Like you always have to look to some authority to tell you what really happened. And writing the book has been this great process of, like I said before, reclaiming my own voice of like, you know, I don't claim to remember perfectly and I don't claim to you know, be able to explain anyone else's experience, but to take ownership and say, you know what, it might not be perfect, quote unquote, but this is what I remember. And this is what Mm -hmm. I experienced. And it's good enough just because it's mine. And just because I am me, like that's, that's been a real growth for me. Yeah. I I think that's a really fascinating concept that we, I think we do that to children Mm -hmm. in general. Like this is, I tell you what's real. Yes. Oh, and you mentioned it being controversial, like the book being potentially controversial. Um, what, what about it? Like who's going to have like a hard time with this? (laughs) Who's going to be mad? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Many people, when they read it, ask me, how do your parents feel about this? Or how does your family (laughs) feel about this? And the short answer is that so far they've been very supportive and generous and wonderful about it. Um, but I understand, I understand why they're asking. And I think the the groups of people who would have trouble with it are twofold. One would be someone who feels that we need to stay inside the lines of this religion or this belief system, and you're just kind of making things up as you go along. Like mm people who are kind of afraid of you having too much freedom in a sense. Mm. The other camp of people I think who might be uncomfortable with it are simply the folks who it's like, you're telling so much about your own life. Like you're revealing so much here and it can bring up some discomfort of stuff they haven't looked at in their own lives and stuff that they don't want to go there. I will say the response has been overwhelmingly hugely positive and supportive. Mm -hmm. And I am so, so grateful. Like I have amazing readers and 
I have not experienced a ton of pushback so far, but you know, I know that that moment, you know, you get that negative review or somebody just just says this isn't for me and you're like that's okay. It's not it's not mm-hmm. meant for everyone. That's all right. And having to come to terms with that. Like when I did the Huffington Post piece, um one of my closest friends read the comments and was just so outraged of like I can't believe the things they're saying and and all of that. And just having to be like, no, that's all part of being a writer or putting Mm -hmm. content out into the world is that you are going to get stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I I agree. I think sometimes too, it's people who need it the most, Mm -hmm. it triggers in them a realization that they're not ready for sometimes. And it, and it can feel like it's our responsibility to not make them uncomfortable. But like Mm. you said, you know, embracing that inner rebel in you, I think is so valuable because it is allowing you to do this push through of the appropriate, you know, proper kind of the, the, what, like when we focus on being proper or appropriate, we can limit our impact and limit the good Mm. that we can do. I like that a lot. Yeah, exactly. Because I spent, you know, I spent five years essentially deciding what belonged in this book and what, you know, what did I really want to put out there? And my intention was always, is this going to help somebody else to feel free? Is this going to help them to wake up or to change their life or however you want to put it? And if I look at it through that lens, it's like, yeah, some of the stuff I share is really personal but I chose it very intentionally to serve that purpose, which I guess as a one, that was a a helpful thing to bring in from my personality. It was like, does this serve the purpose and being very rigorous with asking that question of every single story. Um, But the last thing I'll say, I loved what you said about, you know, it's going to have some people feel uncomfortable and sometimes they need it the most because Mm -hmm. One of the most recent emails I sent to my readers was about this book is for you if you feel like you always need to be the most uncomfortable person in a room. Mm. Like if you're trying to project manage everybody else so that they don't feel uncomfortable and you'll take on all of it, then this is a book for you. Oh my gosh, that is so good and so clear. Mm. Mm. I think, you know, I imagine, you know, I talked a little bit about like, okay, ones um, struggle with this, but I honestly, like, we all do this, right? We all do this in our own ways in which we feel like, you know, like sevens have to be the happiest in the room because Mm -hmm. they don't want to burden you with their sadness. You know, eights have to be the strongest because they don't want to burden you with their weakness, and we all have these ways in which we do what you described when we we force ourselves to be the most uncomfortable in order in the service of other people. It's just we do it all in these like nine unique formats. I like that a lot. Yeah, mm. that makes a lot of sense. So you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious, you know, as someone you're handing this book to them and you get to send them with like a well wish, like, okay, I hope this book does this for you. What, what do you hope this book will give to the people who read it? 
Mm. Yeah, I think the main thing that comes through for me is I want you to have that feeling that I had when Jonathan said to me, you don't owe anyone an interaction. It was this feeling like the whole world just opened up all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And the question that I I would want to leave people with is, what would your life be like if you didn't owe anyone? What would be Mm -hmm. different? What would you change? What would stay the same but would feel different? Like it doesn't mean you have to have this huge external overhaul, but what would it be like to walk around feeling like I just get to be human and I don't have to be this better version of myself? Like you were saying, I don't have to be the happiest. What if I can just be me? Hmm. Okay. And so I'm like, whew, that's good. I want to like actually feel that. Okay. Your book is out now. Mm -hmm. Where can we find it? Sure. So it's available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop, Target, all of those places. But there is going to be a custom link just for Enneagram and Coffee listeners. So it's a wishcomeclear.com slash Enneagram hyphen and hyphen coffee. And the idea, if you go to that link, is you know, buy the book wherever books are sold, but then come back to my website and get all the bonus gifts that come with it. So that includes private videos. I had a ton of reader questions come in about, you know, how do I actually do this? How do you actually live like you don't owe anyone? So I answer those on some private videos. There's also a coaching guidebook that has all of the exercises in the book in one PDF. So it's really easy to, to combine them. Um, so all of those bonus gifts are at my site at that custom link that I'm guessing will be in the show notes or something like that. Yes, we'll definitely have all of that in the show notes for you. And thank you for doing that. That's so that's such a like an amazing thing to have support alongside the book that you're reading, especially with a concept that can be harder to digest. You know, we're we're trained out of this. And it's kind of we're reworking a little bit of our wiring here. So it's nice to have that support. Thank you. Yeah, that was definitely the intention behind it because as a coach, I mean, I work with private clients one-on-one and a lot of these exercises I know are really like they go deep. There's some inner child work. There is thought work. There's, it's the kind of stuff that you need as much support as you can get. So I wanted people to have that. Incredible. Um, so as you know, we end the episode with rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Bring it on. Okay. The first book that comes to mind. Ooh, I'm reading Martha Beck's The Way of Integrity right now. So that's what that's what's on my bedside table. A favorite song. Oh, mm, the one I like to listen to if I want to feel if I want to feel that sense of freedom and expansion, like before I get on a call, it's by Stars. Hold on when you get love and let go when you give it. Ooh, I'm writing it down. It's just a really <laughs> fun song. So sweet. And something you wish people knew about you. Mm. 
I wish people knew. This is something Rob Bell actually said to me when we were doing a, a Zoom workshop and I was trying really hard to put together the elevator pitch for this book and I was struggling with it. I was like, there's something, it's just, I feel really uncomfortable saying it. And he coached me through it a little bit. And basically the shift was, you need to not say it in the second person. Like don't use you, you need to use I, you need to use first person and you need to claim it. And so that I think is a really big moment to be able to say, like, I was trying to, I was trying to be very like altruistic with the elevator speech with, with like, you know, this is a book about how you can learn that you don't owe anyone and it's going to help you. And, and that was all good. But just this shift of like, no, you get to talk about it as though it's personal and it's, though it's, it's, it's your life. It's something that happened to you. And this is a story about how I realized I didn't know anyone. And for Mm -hmm. years, I thought I did. I was in a cult and I was good at it. Mm -hmm. But then something happened and I got free from the weight of those old expectations. And this book is about that story. Mm. So it's very different. So I wish people knew that I want it to be about you, but almost like in reclaiming the I, that's how I make it about you. Hmm. Dang, that's good. That's good. Um, your dream day. What are you doing? Oh, at this point, sleeping a lot. That would be <laughs> that would. That's the dream. Um, yes, having a toddler, running a book launch, recording the audiobook, all of that. No dream day. Sleeping, reading, getting to actually see closest friends in person. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's for so many of us. Having sushi, I just, sushi is so tidy. It makes my one heart feel very happy. It's just so organized. I love organized food. Yeah, that's my dream day. And that's going to be your quote on your podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> organized food. Yes, yes. I love that. Which brings us to final meal. What are you eating? Oh, well, obviously the sushi. Um, gosh, a really great smoothie, like a peanut butter banana smoothie or something like that would be, would be delicious and wonderful also. Um, so as you know, we end every episode with a food for thought. So just something that the audience can leave thinking about today, what would you like to share with them? Sure. So the first thing would be that question that you were letting sink in and percolate for you. It's Mm -hmm. what would your life be like if you didn't owe anyone, if you actually believed that. The second thing I would say, this is from the epilogue of the book. And it's this image that when people read it, I feel I think this is the thing that comes up most often that people are surprised by. And it's this idea that the, the mythological phoenix, so the bird that people a lot of people know from Harry Potter that, you know, rises reborn from its own ashes and bursts into flames and then, you know, starts it all over again. But something I didn't know that was really fascinating to me was this idea that in, in the mythological universe, the phoenix actually starts the fire. It's not a victim of some external sense of timing. It actually catalyzes the blaze itself. 
And I just loved that. I was like, that is so profound. So in the last chapter, I talk about how do you know when to choose the flames of transformation and destroy your old comfort zone and, you know, burn down the old to make room for the new? And how do you find the courage to do that? Incredible. Oh, thank you so much, Caroline, for joining us and giving us so much to think about. Um, everyone, we will make sure to link in the show notes for you so you can go grab the book. It is out now. Um, it is beautiful and just incredible. So definitely make sure to go grab it. Um, yeah. And thank you so much, Caroline, for sharing with us. Sarah Jane, it has been so much fun. And I just want to say to you, I've learned a lot from you that as a one, being able to tap into that seven energy is really helpful and healing for me. So thanks for letting me come play for a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.